Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! happening uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, actually, well, in three weeks. On November uh, 16th, I believe is the day that we'll be here. Um, we've got these um, flyers, at, uh, and on the back, it gives this schedule of something that's going to happen statewide. And today, we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and really, not just the details of it, because again, we're not here to collect facts and information. We're here to understand what Jesus Christ did for us and what it means for us today, Right. And so there's a church that we're in relationship with that's actually way over in Hamden, and they have a guy there that recently accepted Christ, and he is an ultra runner. And so the pastor there at Bethlehem Baptist Church began to ask the question with his people, like, how are you gifted, and, and how are you using that to serve other people? Like, how are you as a follower of Christ saying, I'm, I can make a difference through the things that I can do the things I'm gifted to do, right? Because that's, again, that should be the focus of a follower of Christ is to pour into other people and to use your giftedness to the glory of God, right? To introduce people to him and just to love each other, right? So this guy said, you know what I think I'd like to do is I want to run six marathons in six days. So this guy legit is an ultra runner. So he is going to start uh, in Boston. He's going to start at Fenway and they, this is like a whole thing. And he's going to have like news there covering it. They reached out statewide, different news organizations and what they're going to do at the beginning and the end of every marathon that he runs, uh, they are going to have an opportunity, short opportunity just to share the gospel where they land. Right. Because his hope, his desire is that people from one state to the one end of the state to the other will be able to experience and hear about the hope that's changed his life. And so on uh, the 14th, he's going to start over there. And on the 16th, he'll have worked his way across the state. And mid, we're basically the midway point, And he's going to be stopping here at Quaybog Church. Uh, and you can see on the back of this thing here uh, when he'll be here. And so on that day, what we're trying to do at our church is if you're available on that day, and I'm going to get the specific time, and we'll be talking about that um, in the weeks ahead, but uh, when, when he gets here, I'd love it if those that are able to could gather here just to support this guy. Because this is a, I mean, I'm, I felt really good about myself when I ran a half marathon. I was like, I basically climbed Mount Everest uh, when I did that, right? And then this guy shows up and I'm like, well, I basically did nothing as it turns out. You know, but it's amazing that he's going to do this because, again, it's like, how do you use gifts where if it's like, well, that's not really like a ministry gift. So this guy just got creative and he said, well, I know I can run all the way across the state. He's like basically Forrest Gump and he's going to write only like with a message of hope, not like, okay, you guys can go home now. Like, you know, uh, but he's got this message of hope that he wants to share. And so I'd love it for those that are able to do that. I know it's kind of hard because it's going to be in the like mid afternoon, I think, by the time he gets here. Um, but to be able to support this guy and then that what they've asked me to do, how, how I'm playing a part in that is basically out on the front porch. Uh, I'm going to, it's my opportunity to share the gospel. So when everybody gets here and gathers, we'll pray over this guy and then I'll do a, a five, 10 minute gospel presentation and just, uh, have, again, have the opportunity for the light to shine as he goes across the state, which I think is a really, really incredible thing. And I think it's a, a true testimony to how we can really get creative about how we're gifted and how we can just serve another, you know, serve other people through that. 
Uh, I will never be doing this, um, I don't think. But, you know, again, I'm not made for that. But this guy loves it. And uh, there's over on that table, I'll, Dean, if at the end of the service, if you could just grab some and just kind of hang out over here. We have these. He um, printed off, Darren printed off a bunch of these uh, from Bethlehem, Pastor Darren did. And he said, hey, could you just give these out to people at your church and just kind of start making people aware? So in light of what we're talking about today with the resurrection, uh, I just wanted to share this because this guy is going to go across the state sharing the hope of the resurrection. So uh, just see Dean, there's a big pile of them. And, and you can take them uh, just for yourself or maybe if you have somebody that is an ultra runner or a runner or needs Jesus or any of the above, you can give that to him as well. All right. Now, today, though, uh, in the in the Gospel of John, we, we're closing up this series, I Met Jesus Today. And the Gospel of John has really, for me, been uh, incredible because I have learned a lot personally. Uh, I've, I've had to slow way down as we've looked at this gospel in a thematic way. We try to put big ideas together as we've gone through and not hit every single detail, but putting some of the bigger ideas um, together. So what I would love is if you missed some of these sermons during this series is to go back and, and check it out on a podcast or like on YouTube or Facebook. You know, we've got it there. Uh, not just for the sake of listening to it, but because when you put the details of the Gospel of John together, you get an accurate picture of who Jesus actually is. Uh, that's that's what I love most, I think, about this Gospel, is that John really does make that clear. And hopefully there's been things that have been brought up for you that you didn't know. Maybe it's like, like sh light was shed on something that you weren't sure of about Jesus, because uh, we have covered a lot of ground. But the big picture for me, though, is not that you just learned more. Um, but it's this, that what we've heard, what you've heard will change your life because that's what Jesus expects of people that say they're his followers. And I fear that oftentimes there's people that want to acquire knowledge about Jesus, but don't want to turn that into the way that they live. They don't want to let that affect their marriage or the hurt they have from the past or the jerk boss that they have or the belligerent employees they have or the siblings that don't seem to ever want to come around for holidays, or the siblings that come around too much on holidays, you know, whatever the case might be. Uh, you know, but living gospel out is the difficult part, but that's the expectation of Christ. And you see that really clearly. And the big thing for me, too, is this idea of really meeting Jesus, because when you really meet Jesus, that changes everything. Uh, the overarching question for this series, uh, and almost every single Sunday, we've hit this question right here. What is it like to meet Jesus as he is and not as we've made him to be? A lot of people have a lot of confusing ideas about Jesus, and it has nothing to do sometimes with what he actually said about himself, right? Like, what did Jesus Christ actually say about himself, right? We've made him up into different things. We've deconstructed him into other things in our culture, right? And we just have these ideas about him. The Gospel of John, though, says, here's Jesus. Here's what he says. Take him or leave him, right? And that... That is a hard truth for us to swallow, and it always has been. It's always been difficult in history. You see that. So who is Jesus? That's our, that's our next question is who is Jesus? So some of the big themes, I just pulled four out. There's a bunch, but I pulled four out that really spoke to me as I worked my own way through this series. Uh, the first one, right from the opening words of Scripture, is Jesus is God, right? Like right from the opening verses of the Gospel of John, you get this idea where did John get that was because of what Jesus constantly said about himself. Why was Jesus killed? Why did Jesus go to the cross? What was the evidence that they used against him? His own enemies 
They said, this guy is trying to make himself God. This guy keeps saying he's God. It's blasphemy. So there was no confusion in the time of Jesus who Jesus said he was. Today, we say, oh, yeah, Jesus is just, or he's this, or he's that. If you say that, you don't believe in the Jesus as presented in the Bible, as what Jesus said about himself, and it's what got him killed. So we can't take that away from him because that's what he kept saying, and that's why they murdered him, right, on the cross. But the second thing that we see, not only is Jesus God, but he's very, very concerned about sin. He takes sin very, very seriously, much more so than we do, because he knows its consequences. He knows what sin is going to do in your relationships with people. It's going to destroy your relationships with people. He knows what happens when we like start letting sin seep into our lives through little things like pornography. Oh, it's no big deal, right? It's not going to be any harm to me. But then all of a sudden, you can't stop watching it, and you're addicted to it. And now you have adultery, right? And now you're acting out of, outside your marriage, and marriages are falling apart. Like These are just statistical facts in our country, right? These things are happening because we're letting these little sins eat us up, like greed, right? Because now we're millions of dollars and trillions of dollars in debt in America, right? Because we just keep wanting more. Jesus understands the impact of sin in his life, but he also understands the implications eternally, right? That we have a broken relationship with God. And because of that broken relationship, I mean, that's why this guy's running this marathon. But Jesus also very emphatically said this next one, because of sin, he's come on a rescue mission. He's come on a salvation mission, claiming he is the only way to heaven. Now, that's an audacious claim if you're not, in fact, God. Because this is what like people always say about Jesus. is like, yeah, yeah, he might be one way to heaven. Again, taking Jesus as he is. He said, he claimed, he stated matter-of-factly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And how does he finish that? No one comes to the Father except through me. He made a very, very exclusive statement. And why did Jesus Christ do that? Again, it's because he is God. You can say that kind of stuff when you are God. To say, look, people want a way to have a fixed relationship with God. They want life, in, in, not in hell, but in heaven. Like he, he talked about all these realities, and he said, that's why I'm here. That is the purpose. Like over and over and over again, this is why I have come. This is why I have come. So this is a, like a point of clarity for who is Jesus. It's, it's this one right there. And then the last one to kind of pull out of this is that if you have accepted that, Jesus expects you to obey him and follow him. So this is where like the rubber meets the road for you sitting here today if you're a Christian. If you say you're a Christian, your life ought to look a whole, like, a whole lot like Jesus, right? I mean, if you follow Jesus, then it should look like Jesus, right? I mean, that should be your path. That should be your life. It should not be one of hypocrisy. It should not be one of bitterness. It should not be one of shaming other people and talking about other people and letting your mouth get you in trouble constantly, right? Of always being self-centered and selfish, right? It shouldn't look like that. It should look a lot like Jesus if you say you're a follower of Jesus. And he makes this, he repeats this over and over and over and over again. But the thing that I want to push you into as a follower of Christ, as your pastor, is to say, I, knew, I know too many people who drag the name of Jesus through the mud. And like I've said more and more lately, we've got a whole generation of younger people that are disgusted with Jesus because of his people. So my question for us is how much do we want the next generation to be able to know who Christ is? There's a lot of very difficult topics that people are talking about out there. The times you live in are really, really difficult. And are we going to get sucked into the poison that's in our culture right now and just hate everybody? Or are we going to say, you know what? I have a different way. I have hope. I have life. I have light. And I get to represent that in the midst of when everybody just seems to hate each other, right? 
So are we going to be willing to say, I'm going to make my life look like Jesus so that I can make sure the next generation gets to see Jesus as he really is, and then I won't get in the way of that, right? That's a huge responsibility and a privilege, really. So that's kind of what, what you're seeing Jesus really, really push into in this. And then Dean and I, when we, when we uh, preached that sermon together in John 17, one of the things that comes out of that last conversation that he has with his guys, right, in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and really 13, but 14, 15, and 16, and then that prayer in 17, what you see is uh, what we kind of said was stay humble, boys, and follow Jesus, right? That's what he's saying to his disciples. I've given you this model. I'm washing your feet so you can see in an awkward way what humility looks like. You can see what love looks like, this ethic, this new way of living and thinking. I want you to stay humble, and I want you to follow me and my example that I've given you. Like, these are great marching orders for followers of Jesus today. Stay humble. Follow Jesus. I mean, that, like, that's what I get. Like, that was screaming to me out of that, those last moments that he had with his own disciples. And it was like, again, it was foundational, and it changed their lives, and it changed the way that they approached the world. And then along the way in this, uh, in this series, we've met people in our own church that have met Jesus, and uh, that some of those people I kidnapped and uh, did interviews in my car. I actually wanted to do more of those, but we keep baptizing people, so we keep hearing their stories instead. So I was like, well, Lord, I'll, we'll go with their stories instead, and then I don't have to kidnap people. And so, um, but I wanted to do that because we're meeting people in the Gospel of John, but then we're also meeting people in our own church that have had their lives impacted and changed by Christ. Why did we do that? Because we want to make this stuff concrete right? This is not head knowledge. This is like the reality that Jesus Christ is changing people's lives. And then there's an expectation. Once you start a relationship with him, then your life just starts to look different more and more and more. Not perfect, certainly, because we still sin, unfortunately, but it's going to look different, right? It's going to start to reflect our Savior. So that's why I want to share stories and try to make this stuff real and concrete for us. So today, as we look, again, at the reality of the cross, right, I know so many people, right, who, um, who wear a cross. And every now and then, uh, I'll ask somebody, maybe that I don't even know that well, like, why do you wear that cross? Like, wh what's that? Like, oh, my grandma gave it to me. Or a lot of times, 80% of the time, oh, I just like the design. I like the design. I'm like, do you know what the cross is? And they don't a lot of times. They're just like, and I'm like, so why, why do you like that design? Why are you drawn to that? Exactly. And they're like, well, and it's, it's odd, like odd. I've actually had somebody say this. They didn't know why they wore it or what it meant, but they felt like it was a sign of hope. Isn't that interesting? Like they don't know what it is or what it means, but for some reason they feel like, I don't know, it's just like it's a sign of hope. And I'm like, oh, because, you know, they nailed a guy to that. His name was Jesus. And then he came back. That's the crazy part of the story, right? And that's where the hope comes from. But a lot of times, people have no idea what this means, but they tattoo it on themselves. They wear necklaces, they wear earrings, you know, and it's like, so what does that mean? And that's what I want to look at today, but not just the details. Again, not just details of a story, but what did it mean? Like, what happened because of that cross? What happened in the life, particularly this morning, I want to look at, and a guy named Peter, who, who failed in historic proportions, right? Can you imagine if you screwed up or if you did something bad and 2,000 years later, people were still talking about it? <laughs> I just want to share a story about Pastor Tim that happened 10 years ago, right? Or 2,000 years ago. Can you imagine? Like these disciples, and they put this stuff in there. They were so humble and they were so honest because, the man, they couldn't have failed in any more spectacular fashion than they did when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross. 
And so here we are 2,000 years later talking about it. However, what happens after the cross? What happens after the cross to a guy like Peter, who was Jesus' best friend and totally bailed on him when Jesus literally needed him the most to be there? Couldn't even stay awake, you know, first. And then they just left. They ran in fear and terror. And then later when Peter had the opportunity to kind of like buck up and, and like own that he was a disciple, no, no, Jesus, yeah, no, I've not heard of him. No, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm like, no, no, we're pretty sure you're one of his disciples. He's like, I get that a lot, mate. It must be my face, right? It's like he was like he just every moment he had as an opportunity, he totally dropped the ball. But I want to look at like like we did last week. We looked at the story of the crucifixion, not through the the facts necessarily of the crucifixion, but the lens of what did Jesus go through, right? Does Jesus get being abandoned? Does Jesus understand being lonely? Does Jesus understand what it feels like to have nobody on earth in his corner, right? And the very people that he loved and trusted the most bailed on him. Like, does Jesus understand those types of things that happen in our life all the time? Absolutely, he does. And that's why I love the, the Savior that we have can say, yep, I get it. I understand you. I know what you're walking through because it happened to me. And after all, I'm God. I'm creator of the universe, and I walked in your shoes. I mean, that's something. That's like a different kind of Savior than what most people think of when they think of Jesus. And so today, I want to look at the resurrection through, again, that light of what happened to Peter. What, what kind of restoration and purpose were given to Peter after the cross? And the fact that he didn't run from Jesus, but he ran to Jesus in light of what he had done. Because I think what happens a lot, um, in light of what Peter's story is, I think what happens a lot with us, and I'm not 100% sure if it's just human nature, if it's culture, or what, but there's, a, there's something inside all of us that wants to run from consequence, right? We want to run from what we think is going to be bad, and so we, we then take that idea, right, that fight-or-flight mentality almost, and then we apply that to Jesus, and we say, when I sin— I cannot be close to Jesus. I cannot connect with Jesus. I need to run from Jesus because Jesus would never forgive me if he knew I did this. God could never accept somebody like me because of the things that I've done. I've had conversations with like with people and they just feel like there's no way Jesus would ever accept me. There's no way God would ever accept me. And, but the problem now with that thinking is it's completely opposite of the truth of Jesus, right? Because then where that feeds into is not only can I not be next to God, but now I can't go to church because everybody knows everyone that goes to church is perfect, right? Right? And we, I think in a way, know that, that that's not true, but there can be people that don't want to come to church because they feel like it's true. Because people aren't real and authentic at church. That's why it's part of our vision statement. Like, we want to be an authentic home for the hope of Jesus Christ, right? And we want to do that through exceptional, spirit-led worship, connection, and service to our community. Like, we want to be real. And we want to do these things in a way that's like, okay, I can approach Christ. Like, I can actually get close to God. I don't need to be perfect first, right? Like, those are things that we see in the Bible. However, most of us tend to run from God, and then most of us tend to run from community. Like, man, my life's a wreck, so I can't be around other people. But again, that's just not the story we see in Scripture. That's just not how Jesus feels about us. And I want, through that lens, that's what I want to explore the story of the resurrection through. Because here's what Jesus did for Peter. Look at these three things here. Jesus, um, first and foremost, forgave Peter. He restored Peter. And he gave Peter new purpose. So again, mind you, this is a guy that totally abandoned Jesus, 
totally deny Jesus. I mean, not just like, uh, you know, uh, I was kind of a gray area. No, he ran from him and then he denied him three times. And here's Jesus coming back to him. He's restoring relationship and he's not only restoring relationship between him and Peter, but the rest of the guys, if Jesus didn't do this, think about the care and concern Jesus had for Peter. If he didn't restore Peter the way that he did, that would always be a red mark on him. That would not be a black mark on Peter. Like the rest of the disciples would always kind of carry that forward. Like, oh man, yeah, Peter was, well, yeah, don't tell me what to do. You're the one that denied him three times, right? Yeah, I may have ran naked, but at least you didn't. And I didn't deny him like you did, right? And so by Jesus doing this in a public way, it was like he understood the cohesion that would need to happen, the mantle that he was going to place on Peter, and what would have to happen in the rest of Peter's life because of the call of Jesus on him. And so I love how he does this in a public way with the guys to restore Peter, even though he failed in spectacular fashion. And then he gives him mission. He gives him purpose. And it's not easy, but he says, man, we're going we're gonna to begin this whole thing, and it's going to start with you, man. I'm going to give the Holy Spirit and you're going to be you're going to be my guy that I'm going to begin this whole thing with. And it's like talk about restoration. So that's kind of the light I want to look at the resurrection through. And the resurrection is not necessarily an, an easy thing because in the aftermath of the resurrection they're still confused, they're still scared, they still don't know what's going on. And today we're going to look at a couple things. So like I said, we're going to be in John chapter 20. We're going to look at the resurrection. But we're also going to look at this interaction between Jesus and Peter in John 21. But before we look at the actual actual resurrection, I just want you to consider something kind of outrageous with me first. If the resurrection doesn't happen, Christianity dies with Jesus. Like that's like a really easy thing just to kind of skip right over. But if something crazy like the resurrection doesn't actually happen, Christianity, it, it dies and it goes in the grave with Jesus. And why do I say that? Because think about the night before his crucifixion. What did they do? They abandoned him. They were fearful. They were terrified. His men of three years of investing in them and telling them this was going to happen, they all abandoned him. So what happened to turn those cowards on one night into men that would, and women, that would give their lives, literally, for something that they knew to be true, right? Like, how do you go from that? Like, literally, in a matter of a few days, in a matter of a week, how do you go from, I am so terrified that I'm going to flee and I'm going to outright deny him to, you know what, I'm going to die for this because I know it's true. But that's really something to consider. It's the, the embarrassment of the night before and then the entire net rest of the New Testament. And then real church history, right? Don't forget, because people are like, oh, that's just in the Bible. No, history bears that out. Secular historians, people that completely deny Christianity and Christ, they are, they are confused. How did the church grow so much? Like, they ask those questions. It's really interesting to see historians. They're like, yeah, it's a fact. The church exploded, and they don't know how it happened. And it's like, well, God said it was going to happen. God said this really, the resurrection really happened. And so there's two things that we know we have and we look at today as proof of why did Christianity explode the way it did. The first one is that the resurrection actually did happen, right? It is real. These guys went from terrified cowards to all of a sudden changing the world. 
And then the promised gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus talked about with his guys actually came. So the Spirit of God actually came and indwelled these men and women and gave them the power to go out and begin to build the kingdom of God on earth. I mean, this is the miraculous that we're talking about. This is what the Bible puts forward. This is what I am arguing for this morning is that this stuff is not just fairy tale, but this stuff actually changed the world. Like historically, real facts changed the world because two crazy things happened. The resurrection actually did happen and the Holy Spirit actually came as promised. Jesus is a man of his word. Jesus is a God of his word. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. And it changed everything. It absolutely changed everything. My question for you this morning is, is it going to change you or are you just going to continue to go on with life as is? If you're a follower of Jesus, are you going to continue to just be like, eh, it's not that big of a deal and not, it's not going to change your life? If you're not a follower of Christ, are you willing to consider the fact that something crazy and miraculous actually did happen that night, right? That next day, like there was some transition that was wild and different, historic and miraculous. Like, will we consider those types of facts that something went down? And Paul, the Apostle Paul, 15 years later, uh, 20 years later, actually, is going to comment on this. Because the tension of the resurrection has always been a thing, right? The tension of the resurrection and the reality of whether or not it happened has always been a thing, right? Am I going to actually stake my life on this, that Jesus actually died and came back? Because everybody thought they were stupid, too, back then. Everybody thought that was ridiculous. People don't come back from the dead, right? This is not new knowledge for us because now we have TikTok and the Internet, right? Right? They've known for a long time that people don't come back from the dead. You know what I'm saying? And so Paul is going to wrestle with this in 1 Corinthians 15. And I wanted to read his, his discussion about the reality. And really, if this isn't a reality, wow, we are a total joke. So I don't know if you've ever come across this passage before, but this is the resurrection chapter that he's writing to a church in Corinth. So look at these words here from Paul, uh, starting in verse 1. He says, I want to make it clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, right, about the resurrection, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. That's right. This better be real because we're taking our stand on it. Verse 2, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless, of course, you believed in vain. Verse 3. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Right? This is not just words he's spouting out, but this is something he's owned himself. And this is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was, in fact, buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appear, appeared to Cephas, who was Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time, and most of them are still alive, but some, it says, have fallen asleep or died, right? So there's like, there's eyewitnesses to this still alive, Paul's saying, right? It's 20 years later. There's some of these people are still around. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, Paul says, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because, and this is something Paul, it appears, never got over. It's like this always left a scar in his heart. He says, because I persecuted the church of God, which means he was rounding up men, women, and children, and he was taking them off to be killed. Like, that's the kind of guy that the apostle Paul was. And so he's another great story of like, well, God would never accept me if dot, dot, dot. The apostle Paul says, look, I used to murder Christians, and I thought I was doing it for God. I thought this was like a good thing to do. And yet 
here I am. And look at this next line in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, right? Even the apostle Paul found new identity, new restoration in Jesus Christ. He found purpose in Jesus Christ. And here's where it gets relevant for today. So this is kind of the background of what Paul's talking about, presenting what the gospel is. And then he says in verse 12, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead, right? Because it's kind of a crazy miracle. People are like a little incredulous about this. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And then here's where it gets like, kind of concrete and kind of heavy. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. That's like a bold statement. Like if the resurrection didn't really happen, what you believe is totally in vain. Your faith is fake. Verse 15, moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if... The dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And this is, a, this is a tough verse, verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is what? Worthless. Or the Greek word can also be translated empty, useless, powerless. Paul's saying, if this isn't the real deal, man, we are a bunch of jokes. Your faith is worthless. So Paul is like, Paul appreciates the tension of what the resurrection presents, right? Like he understands that fully. And he says, he finishes verse 17, and you are still in your sins. You, are still, you still stand condemned. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished, right? There's, so there's no hope for the dead either. Verse 19, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Well, that's depressing, right? Because some people are like, well, you know, I feel like if I'm following Jesus and it turns out it's not real, you know, at least blah, 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 it's for the good. Paul's like, nah, no, it's not. If Jesus is a liar and this is all fake, then no, uh, we, you live your entire life in vain, right? Everything has been in vain because if we put our hope in Christ for this life, we should be more pity than anyone. However, I want to say, luckily there's another verse. That's right. Amen. Verse 20. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as Adam and in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Like that's the reality of the resurrection right there. And so what I want to do this morning, um, now that we ha kind of have that established, is I just, I'm not going to read all the passages, but I just want to just, just quickly, sequence of events, what's happening in this resurrection story. So here, 20 years later, here's him looking back on this resurrection, wrestling with the tension. But what was it like in the moment of? So first and foremost, Mary Magdalene is going to be on the scene. Other gospels give um, some different details from the scene, but John focuses in on Mary Magdalene. And he says, she came there first. She saw it first. She goes and she tells the disciples, she goes and grabs some. John and Peter are going to come running back. They see the empty tomb. And there's all this confusion still with Mary, right? Even though it says in verses eight and nine, when the other disciple, John, who reached the tomb first, also went in, they saw and they believed. In verse 9, for they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. 
So there's, you know, again, just the confusion here in these early hours. So Mary is going to hang around the tomb and she's all weepy. She's crying because she still doesn't understand where Jesus is, right? So the angel is like talking to her like, hey, why are you crying? And in response, she says, verse 13, because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they put him. So Jesus, right after this comment, shows up, talks to her, proves it's him, right? She runs off then, and she goes and tells the disciples, hey, I've seen Jesus. Some of the other gospels give, you know, the, the clear impression, that, and they say that, hey, they're not really believing her. They think that she's kind of crazy. So there's just this tension of, like, what's happening right now, right? So he shows up kind of miraculously with his disciples to prove himself to them, and it's a miraculous way because he shows up in a locked room, and he says this twice in verse 19 and verse 21. He says, peace be with you. He's trying to calm their hearts because he realizes that their lives had just been turned upside down, right? That the madness of the, the resurrection was not really easy to just absorb quickly. And so then you see, like, so Thomas is not there, right? And they go and they tell Thomas, and this is where Thomas gets his bad rap, right? Doubting, poor doubting Thomas, right? This is where he gets the bad rap because you see in verse 25, he famously says, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of his nails. And that Greek word there, put, can actually be translated as shove, right? So he's being pretty emphatic about this. If I don't actually see this and feel it physically, he says right here, I will never believe. So again, what happens to Christianity if it's without the resurrection? It dies with Jesus. But he's just a realist, you know, and I love that. Like, I need evidence, Jesus. So did Thomas. So a whole week goes by, and then verse 26 comes up, and Jesus meets Thomas. And he says those words again, peace be with you. Because they're still pretty unsettling times. Then he says to Thomas, put your finger here in my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. So he's like repeating exactly what Thomas said he needed to see. I love how Jesus meets him there in his doubt. And then he says, don't be faithless, Thomas, but believe. Don't be faithless, but believe. And Thomas responded. Again, this is where we need to give Thomas a little bit more credit. My Lord and my God. And Jesus says, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. And that's us today, right? That's us today. And then after establishing all that, that's when John says, this is what I wrote this gospel for. Verse 30 of chapter 20. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. You know, he's laid out all the evidence in this gospel so that we know Jesus is the real deal and that eternal life can be ours. Like he's built a, like an amazing case, eyewitness case, and said, look, this is all the stuff that happened, and this is why I know this is the real deal. Like that was the purpose of John, so that we know we could have eternal life. But then what happens to Peter afterward, right? After totally rejecting everything, after totally like failing Jesus, let me just close with this scene here. Skipping ahead to verse tw or chapter 21, verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, so here's the first time, Simon, son of John, notice he's like referring to him as by his former name, right? That former identity. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told me, or he told him. Verse 16, a second time he asked Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Right, the tension's starting to build here. Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. 
He asked him a third time, and now you can you can like just tell the the tension would have been so so great inside Peter this third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him that third time, right? Remembering the the denials that he had of Jesus those three times. Do you love me? He asked him. You know, he was just broken by that question. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, right? In the Greek, amen, amen. When you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And John makes a note here, kind of prophetically. He said this to indicate what kind of Peter, death Peter will glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. And that follow me in Greek is literally keep on following me. Don't give up. I've forgiven you. I've restored you. And now I've given you purpose. I've given you something of eternal weight and value to do. I've, I'm giving you a kingdom, Peter. And I want you to carry this forward. And what I love about this scene is that like what you see this next point here, everyone is capable of sinning or failing God. Sometimes like Peter and the disciples, sometimes in spectacular fashion, right? However, However, this next one, God is always capable of restoring that person when they come back to him. Always. Like you see people when they come to Jesus, not consequence-free necessarily, but just that restoration, that identity, that purpose, because he restores Peter. And like Paul said, Paul knowing how bad he was, remember from verse or chapter 15 in Corinthians, Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am today. Like Jesus Christ made me who I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. You know, God was gracious to me and I don't want to waste that. Like, I want to live the life that's worthy of the calling that I have received. Like he says to the church in Ephesus, I want to be the man that God has called me to be. And that is the calling of Christians. That is the calling of us that know Jesus as Savior to say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I don't want that grace to be in vain. And the reality, what I see in verses like this is that Jesus isn't done with us. He doesn't kick us to the curb. He gives us new direction. He gives us new purpose. He gives us value. He's serious about our sin, but he's also serious about his love and his grace and his forgiveness, his restoration, his purpose, his meaning. The identity he gives us as followers of Jesus Christ is incredible. And so my question for us is then, will you follow Jesus? He asks this question and he says, will you follow me, Peter? Like, you know, that's kind of like, he says it bluntly, but it's like, he's still kind of saying, hey, will you do this? Are you going to be all in on this? Follower of Jesus today, here's what I want to give you, what I want to leave you with. Will you follow Jesus? Like, will you let your life reflect your Savior? Or will you keep drinking the poison and just being like what the rest of the world has given us? Which is, if you watch the news for 13 seconds, you'll see it's not a great place. Lots of fear, lots of hate, lots of division, right? And if you're not a follower of Christ, will you take today to say, I want to give my life to you, Christ? Like, here it is. Here's the evidence. Like, this is what Jesus did. He said it was going to happen. It happened. It changed his disciples from a bunch of cowards into like, we got to tell the world about this because it's the real deal. Like, will you say, Jesus, today I, I recognize I'm a sinner. Like, I realize I got broken relationship with you. And that's why you came. That's the purpose of the cross. And if you've not taken that step, please come talk to me. Because what it means, you're saying, I get I'm a sinner. I know I need a savior. Jesus, you are that savior. And I accept the fact that you were risen from the dead to pay for my sin. And I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to take that step and accept that gift. Like, that's what it is. And if you've not done that, please come talk to me. Talk to Dean. Talk to Mark. Clearly he knows now, right? We all know that, right? Talk to somebody before you leave to say, and say, I, just, I need to make sure I get my relationship with God squared away. Because that's why Jesus came.
That is the purpose. And that's what it's like to meet the real Jesus, right? That is what it's like to meet the real Jesus. And when you do, it changes everything. It changes everything. And that's why we're sliding right into our November series of not satisfied. Because with that, just like he told his disciples, peace be with you. There's not a lot of peace. There's a lot of people being unsatisfied and unsettled. So next month, we're going to look at what it means to belong to Jesus and the peace that comes from that, right? The inner satisfaction that can come through that, regardless of your circumstances. So Tim, can you come up and uh, pray us out of here? And again, uh, Dean's going to have these um, because, I mean, this is what we talked about today. This is what this guy is celebrating all across our state. Uh, I just want to meet this guy and shake his hand, right? I mean, this is a cool thing that he's doing. So just grab one of these uh, on your way out as well and just be praying for this guy as well. Awesome. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for sending your son. Uh, he did something greater than any of us could ever do. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, just being human, we could never do enough. And yet Jesus did more than enough. Uh, he did something incredible on that day. And the miracle was that three days later, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. And so we're praising you for that, Father. Yeah. I pray that as we continue... We are a group of people that couldn't be more different, a room full of individuals with different experiences and one Jesus. I pray wherever we're at, uh, that you come in, you do that work that you do, change hearts, change lives, and I pray you do that in a big way today. Yeah. Uh, Father, we're trusting you because you've done it. We have reason to trust you because you've done it. So be with us today. Be with us this week. As we go into the missions field, let us continue to be Jesus. Yeah. Fill us up. We love you, Father. Amen. Amen. It's great seeing you all today. We love you. Go be like Jesus. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.